Let us pray. Now we love your word, Almighty Father, made forever visible through the work and flesh of your Son, Jesus Christ, and his Spirit, which guides us now as we consider Holy Scripture. So I ask now that you take the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart and make them wholly yours, that together we might actively listen and critically think so that we can grow in the same radical love of Jesus who first loved us. All this we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome back to our Discipleship Pathway series, the third in a series of Discipleship series. And this one's the good and the beautiful community. Now, author James Bryan Smith writes, Christians are not always different from everyone else, but they ought to be, and often are. According to the Apostle Peter, Christians are a chosen people who are now aliens and strangers in the world. Which is why the first sermon in our series built upon this concept with our community identity with, are we peculiar or just plain nuts? Because we are. Christians are peculiar, and we're called to be enthusiastic about being peculiar. The second sermon in our series was confidence in a great future. You see, the story of Jesus becomes the hope in our own story when we walk with him. That's one of our community narratives. The third sermon was a space for grace. We talked about how the imminence of Jesus' return calls us to pray so that we can learn to love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Last week, Pastor Deb preached the Christ-centered community. She reminded us that we are not in competition with other churches, right? Despite our differences in denominations and faith traditions, we are all part of that same good and beautiful community and therefore are called to be in fellowship and lift each other up as we build the kingdom of God together. Now, today's sermon is entitled The Forgiveness Absurdity. The Forgiveness Absurdity. Now, the concept of forgiveness in the kingdom of God is not absurd, so let me just get that right out of the way. But I promise, if you will hang with me as I build the case for this sermon title, you will understand the absurdity Jesus illustrated in the parable that we found in today's scripture lesson. So here's the bottom line. Just want to tell you now before I preach for the next 20 minutes or so. Forgiveness is a grace given and a principle to be learned and applied both personally and as a community. So I would like to begin our serious consideration of today's lesson by comparing the difference, listen, between a rule versus a principle. A rule versus a principle. And I promise you, if you get this, it will really help unlock your faith. A rule. Do this, don't do that. Right? That's a rule. For example, stop at the stop sign. Right? Don't run the stop sign. If you do run the stop sign, then you've broken the rule and therefore have committed a crime for which there's a penalty. There's a rule I wish was a rule, but it really is kind of a suggestion unless you go over the rule, and that's the speed limit rule. Right? For example, I'm just going to say this. 
It's got to be said. The speed limit on Lingolstown Road is 45 miles an hour. You should get a ticket if you're going 30, but nobody will listen to me. <laughs> That's a rule, right? A principle. A principle is an ethical standard used to guide the decisions we make. For example, when we choose to buy a product made of recycled materials, we are doing so because we desire to live by a principle of our stewardship. We're, we're not required to buy recycled goods. There's no formal penalty for not buying recycled goods. We're just choosing to do that because it's a principle that we like to follow. If you didn't know this about us as Christians, we are a principled people with very few rules. It's true that God quite, uh, named quite a few rules or, or laws in the Old Testament. There are 613 to be exact. Some of those were moral. Some of those were civil. Some of those rules were related to worship. But when Jesus came, all those rules shifted and they became embodied in a single person, the God-man, the Son of God. With Jesus, the rules governing the people of God changed because they became intimately relational. Here are just some of Jesus' community rules. No one comes to God the Father except through the Son. Two, go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here's another one. Eat the bread and drink the cup in remembrance of me. And bottom line, all the Gospels say this. Love Jesus. Love neighbor. Everyone's your neighbor, including your enemy. Those are some of Jesus' community rules. Here's some of our community principles, just to illustrate the difference. Be kind to one another. Be generous to one another. Be forgiving to one another. When we subject ourselves to the rules of Christianity, we're choosing to belong to God's good and beautiful community. When we follow our principles, we're choosing to live by God's kingdom ethic, which is a good and a beautiful life. However, we're not always required to adhere to our principles to belong to the community. In fact, most of us, if we're being honest, most of us often fail daily to live out the principles of faith. But if Jesus is inside of us, we will ultimately going to feel uncomfortable living under any other set of principles other than the kingdom principles. And friends, this is what I like to refer to as living in the tension of grace. Because grace involves tension. There are rules and there are principles. One we're required to live by. The other we are transformed into living out, not by our will. We cannot willpower our way into anything. We can only do anything by the grace of the living God who plants his Holy Spirit inside of us. Without that, we're not going to will anything to happen. We do not do it apart from grace. And that means it's going to take time. What often takes place in the Christian community is the well-intentioned desire of principled people to honor God by making a principle of the faith a rule for the faith. Consider today's lesson. See, immediately before Jesus offers the parable of the unforgiving servant, 
we witness the context by which it was necessary for Jesus to share the parable in the first place. You see, Peter wanted a rule. Jesus, just give us a rule. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, you may not know this, but see, Peter thought he was being generous. Seven being representative of perfect. And and it was well above the the rabbinical teaching of the time that stated forgiving another person three times was sufficient. That's all you got to do three times. You're done. We often desire rules so that life can be simplified and then controlled by us. We don't listen. Just be honest. We don't like having to live in any kind of tension. We want the easy way out, especially in our relationships with other people. But Jesus didn't give Peter a rule to follow. Jesus gave Peter a principle instead. And why did Jesus give Peter a principle instead of a rule? Because Jesus wanted Peter and all of us to live in the tension of grace. Because listen, living in the tension of grace is relational. Jesus said, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Was that the rule then? Is that the rule? Jesus gave the rule 77. I can start my tally now. 70, I'm on number 68, 69, 70. I'm so close to never having to forgive this other person ever again. I can't wait. Boom. No, that's not even a rule, y'all. It's a tongue-in-cheek commentary Jesus gives. He's saying forgiveness is a principle to be applied liberally and endlessly. Then he illustrates the principle with a parable. And remember, listen, remember, parables are earthly stories that embody heavenly principles. They're designed by God to cause us to stop and to think about how we're going to live out the principles of faith in the tension of grace. And I'm not going to go through the whole parable again for you. You just heard it. But I do want to offer you the highlights in order to illustrate for you just how absurd what's taking place is in the passage. So we have the parable of the king versus the servant, right? The kingdom of God, Jesus said, is like. That's an important word. It's like, not is. That's a reminder that we're being taught a principle here, not a rule. We all understand the difference now between principle and rule. Yeah. In the story, the servant owed the king 10,000 talents. Now, a talent is the highest denomination of currency, and 10,000 was the highest number for which the Greek language had a particular word. So it's as if the parable reads, the man owed the king a zillion kajillion dollars. Everything the servant owned, including himself, children, and wife, were ordered to be sold to pay the debt, though he wouldn't... It wouldn't even begin to touch the million, zillion, kajillion dollars. Okay? So the servant begged. The king took pity. He canceled the debt and set him free. So then we encounter the next part of the parable with a servant versus a servant. See, a fellow servant owed the servant 100 denarii. That's 100 days' wages. The servant who received mercy from the king responded with violence and demand. The fellow servant also begged the other servant who previously received grace from the king, who was his unequal. The servant refused and chose to exercise punishment instead of mercy. Other servants report what happened to the king. And upon receiving that report, the king withdrew his mercy and he had the original servant jailed and tortured. Jesus said, 
the kingdom of God is like the parable of the unmerciful servant. For starters, we're not equal with God. God is holy, without sin, and never dies. We are not holy. Our very nature is sinful, for which every body dies. Our physical death pays the price for the sin, the sin nature of our flesh. However, without the mercy of the king, our souls will also die. That's what's referred to as the second death. We sing about it in Joy to the World. This is why the Lord's Prayer is a constant reminder that our debt of sin has been forgiven. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? Our sin debt, friends, our sin debt is so great, we cannot save our souls. Only God can. Why? Because God is the Holy One who can meet His holy demand and His rules. Only the King of kings and the Lord of lords can pay the price for our unpayable debt. So he sent himself in human form to pay our debt and free us from sin. So to respond to the pardoning mercy and the gracious freedom given to us by the one who is our creator, our king, our punishment taker, and our freedom giver, the one who breaks the chains, to respond to the one who breaks the chains, by not forgiving another who has sinned against us is absurd. And if and y'all don't know what absurd means, it means ridiculousness because of being irrational or illogical. Silly, strange, incongruous, ludicrous, farcical, meaningless, absurd. Listen, this is the point of the parable of the king and the servant, and it's the principle that Jesus set before us in the parable. Receiving forgiveness from God and not being forgiving toward others who are our sin equals is absurd. But there's something even more absurd, and that's the forgiveness absurdity. Because we humans deeply despise living in tension and discomfort. This is why we often attempt to turn principle into rule. So we read scripture lessons like the one today and we start thinking in black and white because thinking in black and white is easiest. We think if I do not forgive, I am not forgiven. Or we use it as ammunition against one of our brothers and sisters who are not right now in the mood to forgive us. Our unwillingness or willingness to forgive others is not a rule we must follow to earn our salvation. I want to say that to you again. Our willingness or our unwillingness to forgive others is not a rule we must follow to earn our salvation. Why? Let me ask you this. Can you earn your salvation? It's not rhetorical. Can you earn your salvation? Neither can you unearn it. To think and behave in such a manner is just absurd. And it completely misses the point of the kingdom of God, which has been built upon grace, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We follow the rules of the faith. We practice faith principles 
for the faith, and there's a difference. And the difference is one of metamorphosis. See, practicing the principles of faith transforms our minds. The Apostle Paul writes, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve God's will, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That word transform that's translated there for you from the Greek is metamorpho. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. Isn't that cool? Transformed here means metamorphosis. Now let me ask you a question. I'm going to cross my arms. It makes it look like I'm in a defensive position. I'm not. This felt good to cross them. How long does it take for a cocoon to do its thing? I mean, does a caterpillar just instantly become a butterfly? Takes a while, right? Our metamorphosis takes a while. That's the point. It doesn't happen overnight. See, these different principles of the faith, they allow our minds to dwell upon the things of God. And that slowly changes us as we grow in our walk with Jesus. So when we practice the principle of forgiveness without turning it into an absurdity, we can recognize it as a renewal and a transformative process. So that where you were five years ago is not where you are now. It's not where you will be in ten years from now, right? So I want to end today's sermon with six principles to help you practice forgiveness as a transformative process. Because I can guarantee you, each one of you, including myself, has got people in our lives that need us to forgive. And our hearts need to be freed from the bitterness that comes from not forgiving. So, principle number one. Be reasonable. Be reasonable. God who is not your equal, has forgiven you. So allow that thought to permeate your heart and your soul daily. This is where transformation comes in. Dwell on it often. For wherever, whatever we choose to think about, listen, whatever we choose to think about, that's what we're going to become. Whenever someone hurts you and you become angry or you want revenge, allow the Holy Spirit to remind you that God has forgiven you just as he has forgiven your brother or sister who has, is, has sinned against you but is also your sin equal. So first and foremost, principle number one, be reasonable, which is hard when we're angry, right? Principle number two, forgiveness is not forced. So don't try and compel someone else to forgive you, which is tough. I, I say I'm sorry all the time, even before, even, even before my lovely wife has even had a chance to fully get mad at me. Like, I'm sorry, 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 I'm sorry. You've got to forgive me, I'm sorry. Right? That's not fair, is it? It's not fair. Don't compel someone else to forgive you. Simply say, I'm sorry for whatever it was you did. Then give the other person time to process your I'm sorry. That could take a day, that could take a week, that could take 10 years. When and if they're ready to pardon you and work on restoring your relationship, that's up to them. But then together, you can live into the tension of rebuilding your relationship, but it's going to take time. It's going to be uncomfortable. So suck it up and live in that discomfort. Because walking with Jesus and walking with each other ain't nothing easy about that unless you forgot the Lord said, pick up your cross and follow me. Principle number three, forgiveness does not mean forgetting. 
Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. I love the old Southern Baptist preacher Charles Stanley. He went on to be with the Lord not too long ago. But one of his favorite quotes of his that I love is, You reap what you sow more than you sow later than you sow it. That's because history doesn't go away. It has an impact, right? But practicing forgiveness means finding a new starting place in your relationship with another person. History's not going to go away, no matter how much at times we would like to go away or just forget it ever happened. That doesn't happen. But we can choose, listen, we can choose to begin a new future that's informed by the principle of forgiveness as trust is rebuilt. And that's what's happening, right? Trust has got to be rebuilt. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. It just means picking a new starting place and trying to rebuild trust. The next one's important. And it's got more than one application. Forgiveness does not mean staying in an abusive relationship. Forgiveness does not mean staying in an abusive relationship. The safest way for a victim of abuse to forgive his or her abuser is from a distance. God absolutely wants the best for each person. He doesn't want one of us to harm the other and continue harming the other, nor does God want you to continue allowing another person to harm you. And listen, if you found yourself in an abusive relationship and you aren't sure how to get out of it, let us know. We'll do everything we can to help you. And while I'm on the subject of abuse, it comes in many forms, including and especially terrorism. And so how do we apply some of these principles to what Hamas has done to Israel? And I'm not buying into a false narrative that this is a war among nations. This was a terrorist group that attacked a bunch of innocent civilians and simply slaughtered them from the children infants to the elderly. How shall we apply such principles to them? When Jesus tells us to love our neighbor and our enemy the same, how shall we do that as a good and beautiful community? I don't know, but it's going to be tense. First, Safety and justice. For without safety and justice, the slow process of forgiveness cannot begin. Not for the sake of others. So as we process things like that, as we process still our own bouts with terrorism in our own nation, who among us who were alive at the time of the 9-11 attacks can see a picture of a plane flying into the World Trade Center and not immediately be stricken by it. Now when I see the image on TV, I immediately start tearing up. Forgiveness doesn't mean staying in an abusive relationship. Can't even begin to work on forgiveness until you're safe or others are safe, right? And thank God it's a principle 
and not a rule. But this much is certain. When we have unresolved anger and unresolved hurt, and especially unresolved trauma, which is what we're talking about here when we're talking about death and attack and those things, when we have unresolved trauma, these things can lead to a condition of the soul called bitterness. And bitterness can ultimately drive us to harm others or self. So by practicing the principle of forgiveness, we better have a chance of mending our hearts, which can really only be done in a good and beautiful community. Principle number five, mourning and prayer. And not, I just woke up, it's morning, but I mean morning and prayer. See, the following adage comes to mind, and it reminds me of the previous principle. Hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. So if a brother or a sister hurts you, it's likely, listen, it's likely because they are hurting. That doesn't mean what they've done is okay. That doesn't mean what they've done is excused. But it does give you something with which you can have some control over, and that's your prayer life. And so you can pray. You can pray for that person. You can pray, and I've done it. I have done it time and time again. After I've been in conversation with somebody, and they've intentionally hurt me, but I can see it all over them. They're actually hurting about something much greater, and I don't know what it is. And so I pray for them after the fact. And I just pray for them. I pray for them in their hurt, and pray that hurt might be healed. And pray that my heart might be softened towards them as they're dealing with whatever hurt it is they're going through. Forgiveness principle number six. This is the last one. Allow others to help you carry your burden. Allow others to help you carry your forgiveness burden. Because listen, let's just be honest. Right? There's not a place for honesty in the good and beautiful community of God. I don't know where there is. There's going to be times that you simply cannot forgive another person. It's just true. There's going to be times you can't forgive. And when that happens, don't fall into the absurd lie that you've lost your salvation or your standing with God. When you are unable to forgive, this is what's going to save your soul here. This is what's going to help keep your soul from becoming bitter. When you are unable to forgive, share that with another brother or sister And share with them you are struggling with forgiving someone. You do that. You make yourself vulnerable like that. And I promise you, the Holy Spirit's going to start mending something in you. Ask them. Ask them to pray for you and the one who has harmed you. I promise you this action's going to guard your heart from bitterness. But it will only happen if you will make yourself vulnerable enough to confess and share it with another brother and sister. Eventually, you will forgive. If for no other reason than you remembered that you don't have to forget. Friends, remember, Christians are a principled people with very few rules. So let us live by the rules without exception. Love Jesus. Love neighbor. Everyone's a neighbor. Let us be transformed by the principle of forgiveness, so that the world may see 
a good and beautiful God in our good and beautiful community. And that's not absurd. That's just good kingdom building. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.